You're listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. That's what we're here about. We're here about the fact that on Sunday, everything changed. Jesus had come. He'd been teaching. He'd been healing. He'd turned the world upside down. His followers had come to believe that he was actually the Christ. At least some of them had. They're putting their hope in him, for not for just this life, but for eternity. They had its hope that he was going to change the world. But then in a few short days, a plot had been uh, hatched to betray him by one of his own. Like we read last week, the religious leaders, they drew up these false charges against him and used the Roman political system to um, work out a plan to eliminate what they viewed as a threat. And Jesus, on, for his part, like, did not run, didn't even defend himself. This was the plan all along. As you read through the Gospels, you can see Jesus trying to explain it to his followers and trying to let them know, like, well, this is what's coming, this is what's coming, but they didn't have all the pieces together yet. So when the time came for Jesus to be uh, accused, tried, mocked, and beaten, they weren't quite sure what was going on. They placed their hope in him. They placed their, their trust in him. They're, they're following him with their lives. And then it seems like everything is falling apart. And then Jesus ended up being nailed onto a cross on a hill called Golgotha. And was crucified where he bled and died. Now, you and I, those of us who remember Christians, we, we believe, we trusted that, that hit that death was in our place. That was my place. That was your place. But they didn't, they didn't know that. I can't imagine being one of his followers like that day, having come to put my hope and my trust in him and then only to find him gone. That hope had died. Fear would have welled up inside every single one of them. Fear would have replaced that joy. Fear would have replaced that hope. Fear would have replaced that that hope for victory. It would have seemed like a day of just incredibly deep darkness. Where not only Jesus was gone, but hope was gone. In some ways, that doesn't sound entirely dissimilar to our world today for me. It seems like today, like every every one of us, we still have this, this place with little to no hope. When I spend time with people who haven't come to trust Jesus as their Savior yet, and sometimes even some who say they have, like there's just this profound lack of hope in anything ever getting better. The biggest and brightest thing that we can dream of, apart from something like this, is just a little bit more provision, a little bit more ease. It's this weak thing to hope in. That's how a lot of us in our world, we live our lives. We walk through one day after the next, kind of oppressed, struggling to find just this glimmer of hope in anything and just trying one thing after another to find something that will sustain us and lift us out of the darkness that we find ourselves in. That was every one of us before we met Jesus. 
sin reigning, and darkness winning. That Friday, that Jesus' body was buried in a tomb, it seemed like the end. But God wasn't done. In Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, it says this. We read it earlier. It says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, some women, went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. We know what's going on. They didn't. This is terrible, all right? While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. I said, Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And so returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They didn't believe it. But Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping to look in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling. And what had happened. See, Sunday morning, the this, this, this stone was rolled away. Sunday morning, the message became, not that that hope had died, but that the Savior had risen, victorious over sin and death and hell and everything else. That sin's price had been paid. That death had been defeated. The message changed on Sunday. His followers didn't get it all yet. That was a lot to take in. That was a lot to comprehend, and a lot of them just didn't believe it. The resurrection is a, is a massive thing to come to trust in, and his followers, they weren't there yet. They didn't understand all of it. Everything hinges on the resurrection for us. If you're a Christian, like for those of us that are even considering this, like everything hinges on the validity of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, Christ can't be trusted. Could have been anybody. Without the resurrection, death still reigns. There really is no hope for eternity. Without the resurrection, Jesus ended up actually defeated not a victorious king. Without the resurrection, you don't have a risen Savior that you can trust on and lean on now. Until the, the, his followers, until they understood and believed the resurrection, his followers were still without hope. So Jesus went to work to help them to put the pieces together, to help them come to know the truth. And my, my prayer, my prayer for me and you this morning is that as we walk through this passage together and see Jesus helping his followers put the pieces together as they come to the point that they could trust him as a risen Savior, I'm praying he does that same work in you. Helps you put those pieces together in a new way or in a fresh way and just like well up hope inside of you in the fact that you have a king who was not defeated. So let's pick up the story in in Luke uh, chapter 24, verse 13. It's Sunday afternoon. It's a few hours later after the story at the tomb. Two of his followers, they're walking to a town called Emmaus. All right, verse 13, it says this. It says, that very day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Now, it's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So it's just two of them. They're, they're taking off. They're heading out of town. They're getting out of here. They're, just, they're walking seven miles. When's the last time you walked seven miles? They're walking seven miles together just talking, chatting about what was going on. 
Verse 15 says that while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Well, that's just fun. I mean, that's, I, I guess Jesus is just having a, like, Jesus isn't just enjoyed himself. This whole, like, resurrection thing, Jesus is just, you know, making the most out of this. He's supernaturally, like, disguising his identity. He, like, walks up. He's like, hey, guys, you know, and they, didn't, like, they don't know who it is. That's just fun. Jesus is having a great time here. All right, verse 17 says to them, hey, this is what Jesus says. He goes, so uh, what are you talking about? This is what verse 17 says, right? He says, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. They're looking sad. It was one time at um, my church in Huntsville. I was on sabbatical, and so I wasn't supposed to, like, go to church and be around, you know, I was supposed to be off, right? But it was Halloween, and like, my church was doing this big old giant Halloween thing, but I still, like, I still wanted to kind of, hide, right? But I want to take my kids to the Halloween thing, right? So you got a, I got a problem. I want to take my kids to the thing, but I also don't want anybody to know it's me. So I put on one of those giant inflatable dinosaur-like costumes, <laughs> right? And like nobody, I mean, and I didn't say a word. I'm just kind of walking around near my kids. I'm watching them through the little box in the dinosaur mouth, just having a good time. It was the most fun I've ever had. No one had any idea. Tristan Mariani like saw my shoes and recognized me. I was like, get away from me, you know? Like, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus slides up to next to these guys. He's like, they're, he's supernaturally like disguising his identity. He walks up to him and goes, so what you talking about? You know, it is, how many could like barely contain himself? You know, they're standing there looking all sad. Jesus is trying not to grin. Verse 18, it says, and one of them said to Cleopas, not one of them named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Jesus says, what things? You know, he's just having a great time. He says, what things? They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers, they delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped. We'd put our hope in him. We had hoped that he was the one, that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Yeah, and besides all this, it's now the third day since all this stuff happened. Jesus asked, what are you, what are you talking about? What things? What's going on? And they're like, who is this guy? How have you not heard that? You see that key phrase in there? We had hoped that he was the one. They had hoped that Jesus was the Savior, but in this dark moment, it seemed like, like all hope was lost. It seemed like hope had died. These two had thought they had found something that they could put their hope and their trust in, that they could lean in, that would change things. But hope had been lost. Do you feel that at all sometimes, that is lack of hope? Maybe you had some when you were younger. You had some, you know, hoping that things were going to get, but you're losing that hope. I think our entire world's looking for hope. Hope for this life. Hope for eternity. Hope for in the face of sin. Hope in the face of addiction. Struggle of pain. Hope for meaning. Hope for purpose that can last. Hope for forgiveness. Hope for joy that is not found in something circumstantial. I think we're all hoping. They had hoped. But hope had died. They tell the stranger more of the story. Verse 22 says, Moreover, some women of our company, they amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. 
They didn't find his body. And they came back saying that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those uh, who were with us, they went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said. But they, they didn't see anything. Now, Jesus has been listening. He's been letting them talk. They're walking to Emmaus. They're on the way. You know, he's kind of joined in the crew here, and they're telling them what's going on. But Jesus stops them in verse 25. Verse 25, Jesus begins to speak. They still don't know who it is. This is this stranger who apparently possesses great wisdom. Verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And so in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This stranger starts setting them straight. He's like, oh, hang on now. Like, like, this is what Scripture says. Like, don't you see how, like, this all had to transpire like this? Like, he's opening Scriptures to these two followers of Jesus and helping them see that everything has happened the way it was foretold. He says, was it not necessary for the Savior to die? <laughs> Have you ever wondered that? Ever wondered about why it was necessary for Jesus to die? Like why, did, why didn't Jesus just come up with some other way to do it? Why didn't the Father just, I don't know, just unilaterally just erase the dry erase board? Why was it necessary for the Savior to die? <coughs> what Jesus is showing these two people is this. He walks them back all the way to Moses, helps them walk across all, all the way across the Scripture that they have, all across the Old Testament. And he's showing them the entire point the entire point of this is that there is a good and holy and loving God that we're made for. The whole point is this story, this good and loving God that we're made for, trying to reconcile us to himself. That he himself is the source of all of our, all goodness, all hope, all peace. But that all of us, without exception, has chosen time and time again to walk away. To sin break the heart of God. That's you and me. You and me have chosen consistently to walk away from the one God, the God that we were made for, to walk away from his goodness, to walk away from his joy. And instead, we've gone our own way. And by doing so, you and I have earned, we've earned punishment for ourselves. That's what we earned. That's what we deserved. That's Romans 6.23. It says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he opens the scripture and he starts to explain this paradoxical situation where God the Father has these, these, these two things in his hands. On the one hand, God loves his people, his creation. He loves you perfectly, unconditionally. But on the other hand, if God is if God is good, if he is holy, then he's also just. So he has to bring, like, justice for sin. So God, on the one hand, holds his, this love, this tender mercy, this, this, this unconditional love that he has for you on this one hand. But on the other side, he's, he's, he's a just judge. He has to bring, like, punishment, like, consequence for sin. Like, there has to be something done. It, it, otherwise, it would be unjust, and that would mean he's not holy. So I just imagine the father sitting there with these two things in his hands. His great love and his great justice. His love for me and you, but also this justice that sin has a consequence that has to be paid. And so there, 
the very beginning, there was this plan born in the heart of God. That's an insane plan. It's a plan that doesn't sound fair when you finally start to hear it. See, God wasn't willing to abandon you to the consequence of your sin because of this great love that he has for you. So instead, God determined to take on two roles, both roles, to be both the judge and the justifier. That's Romans 3.26. He chose to, to punish sin as a just God, but to take that punishment himself as one who loves you unconditionally and perfectly. So God came in the form of man as Jesus Christ. Jesus dove out of heaven to get between you and the punishment that you had earned. God executed the, your, your, your sentence against himself so that you didn't have to do it. Reconciling both this great love that he has for you and the need for justice against our sin. Listen, God saw it necessary for Jesus to die so that you could be set free. Isn't that good? Like that, like God saw it necessary. God saw it, God saw us worthy. Like God saw, like this is the plan. Like reconcile my love, my justice. Like God, like he saw it necessary for Jesus to die so people like us could be set free. But he still wasn't done. Yeah, Jesus took all of that wrath on himself, paid for it on the cross, paid for your sin, my sin, the consequence of all of it, paid for all of it on the cross, but he still wasn't done. Sunday, Christ rose from the grave, defeating death, defeating sin, like proving himself to be the Savior so that we can have a resurrected king that we can follow even now. He wasn't done. Hope hadn't died. Hope had risen. Sunday changed everything. Hope had risen to offer us freedom, to offer us forgiveness and restoration, this gift to be received by faith. All of that, all of that we're talking about, they got God doing. He's like done all of it for you and has set it before you as this free gift saying, if you will say, yes, I've done everything that needs to be done. And that sounds overly simplistic to us. It sounds too good, and it absolutely is. But it's also true. Friend, I just want to ask you, have you received that gift or are you still trying to earn it? Are you still trying to like clean yourself up and I'm going to get my life right. I'm going to settle this out. I'm going to set myself free. I'm going to be my own savior. How's that working? He's done everything that needs to be done. All that's left for you to do is just say yes. We say yes to the gift of the resurrected king. See, Sunday has changed everything. But my question is, has it changed you? It's one thing to talk about how Sunday can change everything and it, like Jesus is risen and there's East, like holding, like, but has it changed you? Because until you come to the point that you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, it has not changed you. The cross is effective, but it's not effectual for you. you haven't, it hasn't impacted you until you've said yes. Sunday changed everything, but has it changed you? The stranger's on this walk with him all the way to Emmaus, the whole seven miles of it, all right? They're walking together, talking together. Jesus opens Scripture together. They still don't know who this guy is. In Luke 24, 28, it says this, So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus, he, he acted as if he were going further, still having a great time. But they urged him strongly, saying, Do not just stay with us. It's toward evening. The day is now far spent. So Jesus agrees. He, he goes in to stay with them. They make dinner. Everybody gathers around the table. Then this stranger, he reaches out and takes some bread. And in verse 30 it says, when he was at the table with them, he, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and gave it to them. 
just like he had done Thursday night at the Last Supper, did the exact same thing. Verse 31 says, in that moment, like he's, he breaks it, hands it to him, in that moment, verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and just like that, he vanished from sight. That's hilarious, all right? Like, just imagine, like, this is what Jesus is like. He's like, all right, let's see, if they, let's see if they pick up on this. All right, let's just do the Thursday thing again. Like, blesses the bread, breaks it, hands it to him. He lets, like, their eyes are open. He, they recognize him. And as soon as he does, he winks at him and goes, boop, he's gone. Just enjoying the resurrection. I mean, Jesus is having a great time. Like, it's just good, man. All right. So these two are still sitting there. Jesus is now gone. You know, they're holding the bread. He just handed them, and he's not in the room anymore. So they're sitting there, realize it's Jesus himself, the risen Savior. That hope hadn't died. That hope was here. Been hanging out with them all day. And they had to decide what to do about that. Verse 32 says, they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked with us on the road? When he opened to us the scriptures. Our hearts not just burn with us when he's talking with us, open the scriptures to us, man. That was just something doing. We didn't recognize him, but we, we knew something was different. A lot of us have experienced that very thing. Have you ever experienced that? You're opening the word, like this just feels like, like just hearts just set ablaze inside of you. You're reading these words of hope and peace and restoration and joy, and they're reading this, you're like, man. It's just so good. Like those of us who are Christians in the room, like we're reading the word, we're in here studying the word together. Like God just does something powerful among us. That's the spirit. It's burning in our, like, just resonating with the truth. I think there's some of you in the room, may have been around here for a little while, been with some other folks or something, and you've heard the name of Jesus. You've heard this gospel laid out and the word's been opened and we're gathered together and we're, we're praying these songs of worship to the Lord together like something just lights up inside of you you've experienced this verse 32 same thing that's the, that's the Lord at work in you drawing you to himself Sunday changed everything my question is will you let will you let Christ change you don't miss this. Remember, it's late. They're having dinner. It's dark, all right? At this time, there's no police, all right? There are no reflectors. There's no cameras or nothing, all right? And so it is dangerous to travel at night. People didn't travel at night. But it's night, and despite all that, like, Jesus just booped out of a room, and they got to do something about that, all right? So they had to tell somebody. Verse 33 says that they rose that same hour and returned all the way to Jerusalem, and they found the 11, and those who were with them gathered together. 35 says, they told them all that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They got up and they told somebody, right? Like they, just, they just figured this out. The pieces finally clicked. It all fell into place. Like hope hasn't died. Hope was alive. Like Sunday changed everything. Like they got up, walked the seven, they probably didn't walk. They probably ran the seven miles back, you know, they, and told somebody. When you meet a risen Savior, you tell somebody. They found the 11. They burst through the door like, you are not going to believe this. Huffing and puffing, sweaty, smelling bad. Like the whole, like, you're not going to believe this. They explained what happened and like, people were amazed. This is what I've seen. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I experienced. That's who we are. Christians, having seen what we've seen, we rush back out into the darkness to tell those who haven't seen it yet. That's who we are. 
having seen and heard what we've seen and heard, we rush back out into the darkness despite the distance. It doesn't matter to go make sure that everyone has seen and heard what we've seen and heard. It's a message we can't keep to ourselves. Verse 36 says this, as they were were talking about these things, Jesus himself, again, this is great, stood among them. I'm sure everybody freaked out, so he said, peace to you. They're startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit, and he's trying to calm them down. He said, why are you troubled? Why do do doubts arise in your heart? Just calm down. Like, see my hands, my feet? It's me. Touch and see. It says, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, you see I have. He's trying to reason with them, calm them down. Like, you've seen, like, you're looking at, like, calm down. Believe. Once they did, verse 40 said, when he had said all this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and they still disbelieved for joy, were marveling, and said to him, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of rolled fish, and he took it and ate with them. He's like, I'm real. Everybody calm down, <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's an amazing thing. They're grappling with the unbelievable. You see it in Scripture. Scripture's not trying to paint this as some just easy-to-believe thing. They're grappling with the unbelievable. All of us have to. Everything hinges upon the empty tomb. And he's patiently helping them come to believe. See how patient he's being with them? He's just patiently, he's standing in the room with them and they don't believe it. He's patiently helping them come to the point when they can believe, like he's done with many of us. He's still doing for those of you who are working it out. He's patiently helping them come to the point that he believes. And then, then just give like physical evidence. He takes them back to Scripture, which is where all of us have to go. Verse 44, it says this. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms had to be fulfilled. He takes them back to Scripture. Then he opened their mind to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning right here in Jerusalem. And 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things. Jesus gathered with his followers, patiently helped them come to the point that they could believe. And then he goes further than that. He doesn't just, he calls them to believe based on the word. But second, he shares his heart for the nations, beginning right there where they were. And this message is not just for you, gathered in this room right now. It's not just for you. This is, this is, too good to keep to yourself. So it'd be proclaimed in all nations, including this one and that one, regardless of what this one and that one is. Third, he calls them to share the news. He tells them, like, you're going to be witnesses of these things. You know what a witness does? A witness just shares what they saw. Truthfully, openly, honest, just shares what they've seen and heard. That's who we're called to be. To people rushing back into the darkness, proclaiming what we've seen and heard to the people who haven't seen and heard it yet. We believe in the cross. We believe in the empty tomb. We believe in the risen king. Sunday, it changed everything. It changed everything for me. But has it changed you? Listen, I know you weren't in the room that day. But what I see in that passage is, even if I was in the room that day, this would still be an insane thing to believe, standing there looking at him. There'd still be things like flashing through my mind, trying to explain it away and trying to dance around it and get past it. And Jesus said, no, listen, it's true. 
I've had this experience of my heart burning inside of me when I'm spending time with a group of believers worshiping together, having the word open, like I've felt the spirit at work in me. I've studied the scriptures. I've done what he's called me to do, and it's changed everything for me. Has it changed you? I know you weren't in the room that day, but the invitation that Jesus extended, calling people to believe, that invitation hadn't changed. Jesus suffered, died, and was raised for people just like you. That unconditional love and that call for justice like, like, has not changed. His love is still there for you. Like, it has not shifted. It's not, with, it, it's not has come with limits based off your past performance or something. Loves you unconditionally, perfectly. Knew that you were going to mess it up time and time again. Sent his son to dive in front of the wrath that you had earned for yourself. All that's left is to say yes. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, that's the gospel. That's what we believe. That's what Christians are. We're people who have just simply come to say yes to the gift of forgiveness in Jesus. We're not people who have got it all right. We're not people who have cleaned ourselves up first. We're the people so messed up that we've recognized that we can't fix it and that we need a Savior to do it for us. And if you're still trying to clean yourself up, I'm going to tell you from personal experience, it ain't going to work. Would you say yes to the gift this morning? Would you trust and believe on Jesus? Have a conversation with him. Like, put your faith in him and say, Jesus, like, I, I can't do this on my own. I'm ready to believe. I'm ready to follow you. Just, would you save me? You can do that right there, right, right in the seat, right where you are. Our next steps team are going to be back there over there in the corner, and they want to talk with you about that, answer questions for you, pray with you about that. It's not a decision you need to make by yourself. You need to have some people with you. That's what they're going to be there for. In just a moment, our band's going to come. They're going to lead us in a time of response, and this is going to be your opportunity to like, nail that down and say yes to Jesus. Have a conversation with somebody and say, listen, like, I've been wrestling with this for a while. I've, I've felt that heart burning inside of me thing. I think today's the day i got to trust Jesus. One of our friends did that this past week. What about you? Has Sunday changed you? For those of us who have already taken that step, as our band's coming, you guys come on. For those of us who are already Christians, we worship not because we've just been forgiven. We worship because we have a risen Savior. And we're praying these songs to the Lord. Like when we're gathered together, when we're serving in his name, like we're serving a risen Savior who wasn't defeated by sin, wasn't defeated by the grave, but reigns on high right now. And as we worship together, like that's, that's who, that's, that's the, that's the heart that we bring. And we're those committed to running back into the darkness to make sure that just one more has heard what we've heard. It's had the opportunity to respond the same way that we have the opportunity to respond. That's who we are. That's who Oaks is. We're those running back into the darkness, making the light of Christ known. So our band comes, it's time to respond, it's an opportunity for you to do something. The, the gospel message, the word itself, is, is, um, is staggering in scope and impact and truth. It's something to be reflected on, it's, it's something to be wrestled with, but the bottom line, it's something to be responded to. The only inappropriate thing that we can do with this is, is not respond. Of pressed down that spirit's movement in our hearts and saying, okay, that's, that was nice. That's okay, good. And, I, and, and I'm not going to do anything with that. I'm going to stay right here where I am. Jesus came to set you free. 
to give you a new life in his name, to give you a purpose that extends beyond this life into eternity, to give you a hope that hasn't died, but a hope that has risen, and to draw you into his mission alongside of him. That is not news to be sat on. That's news to respond to. So how are you going to respond this morning? Maybe if you're a Christian in the room, this is an opportunity just to respond and worship. Maybe you've been distant from the Lord for a little while and just being reminded of the reality of the resurrection, the reality of his love for you. Like you just, the most appropriate response is for you just to rise and worship with us in just a moment. Amen. For some of you, like you've like internalized that gospel message for yourself, but you ain't been running back into the darkness and letting anybody know. You hadn't taken up the mission. Maybe that's a prayer commitment for you this morning, right there where you are. And for some of you in the room who came in trying to figure it out, having sensed something real about this Jesus, maybe today's the day for you to say yes. To finally put your faith and trust in Jesus. Our next step team is going to be back there in the corner. They're there to back you up, help you, pray with you. Whatever it is that's going on with you, they want to, they want to be there for you. All right? And so in just a second, when I pray and say amen, our band is going to lead us in worship. A lot of us are going to stand and sing. Your job in that moment, if you need to go talk to somebody, is to slip out of your row. I know the rows are long. They won't care. Slip out the row. Go slide back there to the next steps and say, hey, can we talk? Just spend some time with somebody who loves you back. All right? Let's worship. Let me pray. Father, my hope, my prayer uh, this morning is that we will be people um, responding to the truth of the gospel. For my friends in the room who are Christians, that, that you wouldn't allow us to sit still, but that you would send us back into the darkness, letting people know he is risen. That you drink, like, draw us to a point of worship, but draw us to a point of joy. Restored us the joy of our salvation in this moment as we worship together. God, I pray for my friends in the room who aren't believers yet that have maybe heard the gospel, they've heard this morning, they've, they've been around some believers, they've sent something true. God, I pray today would be the, the day that you put those pieces together for them and they come to a point with their whole heart that they can trust you as Savior. They can be set free from sin. They can be forgiven. They can walk, like walk out of this room with a new life in you. God, I pray that you do that. Work in us, move among us, move us to action. Sooner sons, let me pray. Amen.